Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining the First Issue Club podcast, where we explore number one comic books. If you don't know what number one comic books are, they're the best adventure that you can have. And you know what? We make a little gateway drug for you every single week. So I hope you enjoy it and get blazed with your favorite comic book nerds doing a podcast for you every single week. Week, baby. You could call us panel pushers. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, panel you pushers. could, but Ooh. please don't. <laughs> <laughs> we got a special guest on this podcast today, so we're super pumped about that. We have three comic books that we are covering that came out in the week of May 15th. So, what are the books we're covering, G Unit? That is not going to be my nickname. <laughs> This is Greg Lichtai, and the book we're covering today is A Walk Through Hell on Aftershock, Flavor from Image Comics, and Ether from Dark Horse. Who's in the club today? In, in the book we cover, Flavor from Image Comics, the young woman is, uh, is accompanied by her little dog friend. So the question I have for the group today is, if you were on a uh, fun little journey through life, what would you choose as an animal companion? Hello, I'm Michael DeStacey, the first club member. I would say that the animal I would have with me is an alpaca. I'm always freezing cold. Alpacas have a lot of fur, very warm, very cuddly. And you just snuggle right up against that little bug and warm up. I would, normally when I think about companionship, it's how can I use this person? Are they useful to me? I'm mm. so glad I'm your friend. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you're marrying my cousin. <laughs> This is Budget King. It would be a pterodactyl. It, it would also talk. It would speak. Holy shit, I should have put parameters on this question. <laughs> Three. Yeah. Three I didn't know where animals could talk. Yeah, they could talk. Or it be extinct. It also, sh- uh, it, it also sh- uh, shits lasers and candy canes. So anytime oh, I'm okay. hungry, full-on candy canes. Oh, no, Any you're going to get a laser in the mouth. Any size I want. <laughs> on accident. He tells me, or she tells me, sorry. She tells me what which one she's shitting. The candy cane. How much would it hurt, though, to shit something candy cane-shaped? Would you eat it? Uh, yeah. I w- it would be my sustenance for at least a year just to prove it to people. Oh, my God. How good my Terry is. Your pterodactyl Terry. would not respect you because my Terry. It's she can it. just see you eating her excrement. We have a, a relationship. Yeah, I know. It's pretty <laughs> fucked up. Uh, this is Greg Lichtai, and, and my animal companion would be a hyena because I constantly need affirmation that my <laughs> jokes are funny, and this thing will <laughs> laugh at me no matter what. Uh, am I vain? Yes. But I'm also fragile. That's a good answer. They're also, they're also terrifying. Yeah, but we're like buddies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mine doesn't talk, by the way, so. I'm Lynette Miranda. I would have a punk rock hedgehog. I think they're cute, pocket size, and prickly. So I feel like they could relate to who I am. So I feel like they'd be a great companion for me. I have um, some questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a punk rock hedgehog. What designates yeah. it punk rock? Is it, does it have piercings, tattoos? No. A tragic no, relationship all... with its parents? <laughs> no, no, no. It's all in the attitude. It really dislikes authority. Okay. Um, oh. DIY? So, so it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's prickly by nature. Is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is it? Those are our companions. This is our podcast. And let's get this podcast started. All right.
right, first up we have a Walk Through Hell number one out on Aftershock Comics. This is by comic book superstar Garth Ennis. We like a lot of the books he does. And Goren Suzuka uh, did the art on this one. I'll start off immediately by saying I'm a Garth Ennis fan, so I might have already been predisposed to liking this, but I really liked this book. And I saw someone online called it a slow burn horror, as if that was the genre. And I thought it fit how this book read and felt so perfectly. It takes you on a roller coaster, I think, and right away we're introduced to these characters who are having a conversation in a mall. We've got a sweet little family. One page in, they get approached by a gunman in a mall who shoots the mother and the baby point blank. They're kind of used as a tool, though, throughout the, I guess, middle section of the book to kind of provide a commentary on the world. We, we kind of quickly get a taste from the world around and the surrounding people about, like, culture's fascination with events like this. We're, you know, disgusted by social media, but we still clamor for conversation about how social media sucks for, like, talking about these things and is it politically motivated and all this stuff. Like, it becomes a banal conversation instead of an important thing. And I thought the way they introduced it, something super heavy that you think is going to be like the impetus for the rest of the book is quickly disregarded and trivialized. Did any of you find that interesting? Yeah, I mean, that moment, it wasn't shocking, but it, it definitely jolted me because it was like the emphasis was that the woman and the baby was an Asian woman and a half Asian baby. And I think that set up some of the stakes. And even though through the social media it did seem like trivialized, from what position are you reading this book? Because I think that like, yes, it can be trivialized, but like for me, it's still kind of stuck all the way through until like the last few pages. Because I think like both the beginning and the end, really powerful imagery in relationship to guns and like violence. And I don't know, there's something there that I'm still like processing. One of the things that in the beginning of the book is that it is a person of color that's murdered and they give this whole Twitter exchange of like how people would talk about it mm -hmm. on there. And there's like a person that's like, um, I, I'm actually just going to read the first quote. Uh, it says, another woman of color dis uh, destroyed by white America gun power is the first tweet you get. And then it goes into this whole dialogue of like, shut up SJW. Yeah. And then it's like you kind of get like some alt-right point of views and things like that. Super, super, like I think there's a bunch of race politics going on in this book. That is a thing that we have been getting a ton of in comic books. Like it is, there's no mistaking that the Trump era has infected comic books. We talk about it here a lot. Here we have another comic book that's lamb-blasted with race yep. politics. How did that work for you guys? It's something that I wonder if it's going to be carried as a theme through the continuation of the book, or if it was more just an event to set the stage to to show you this is the tone of America, to put you in the mindset that they wanted to put you in before they introduce you to, like, sci-fi elements. A little bit of a spoiler of what we're going to get to at the end. I think that there's still something there about the way in which the stakes are, are set, where I don't think that this comic is going to be about race politics necessarily. I do think that 
for me as a reader, it really sets me up to think about what is my position to those politics and also authority and power and systems and structures that mandate that that authority and power because our main characters and sort of the rest of the comic, detectives and police and people in positions of power. So I think that that's an interesting like juxtaposition of like where as readers we start to come into this space. So I don't think it's as clear cut of like scene setting, but kind of implicating the reader in what's about to happen in a way. Man, heavy conversations so far. We're yeah. we're like three well, page, we're like I, three pages into this. I think there's no the fucking book is called A Walk Through Hell. Yeah. I you're mean, right. there's, you're right. There's no way to not be serious about this. I will say this book a little bit like fell flat for me in some ways because of what you guys liked about it, which is it's just a different taste when it went to like high 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 like emotion and then like slow literally slow until the like last panel Mm -hmm. it lost me but what i loved was like the diner um conversation about whoa they're going like way critical of like trumpian era politics in a way that like i don't see comic books push that edge that envelope and the way they wrote the twitter field i honestly think they just direct quoted people from stuff it felt like so genuine of a reaction to kind of shit we see every day yeah mm-hmm. pick a um, mass shooting and these comments yeah. are or or, or pick twitter. a pick a person of color getting kicked out of starbucks yeah. you know like you would see the same twitter yeah. kind of bullshit and then there's honestly some genuine genuine twitter comments in there that it kind of like this is an honest reflection like, i think somebody said the phrase like is now the time to talk about uh you know where we can have good conversations and I just think of like I know that person that sits on social media and says like I'm done with guns like now now we're gonna talk yeah. <laughs> like, I know that grandma I know yeah. that uncle I know I, I, all I know these that people high schooler that, yeah. you know like yeah. yeah and that writing is what kept me I think going we covered a lot of the tone of the greater part of this book um, where we're meeting these couple detectives we find out they're somewhat They're, like, peripherally involved with the couple that was killed earlier. We get their perceptions and conversations about those events throughout the day, their political commentary on it. I'll skip to the end here. Some of their, I guess, co-workers go investigate a crime. They find out six hours later they had gone into this warehouse to, you know, bust somebody, investigate something, and these detectives never never come back out of this warehouse. Mm-hmm. We come to find that the police officers on the scene went into the warehouse to find them to see if anything had gone awry and come back out seconds later completely distraught. They they all these guys say like I can't handle it, you know, we got to do it. They all point guns to each other's heads. There's like eight of them. And yeah. I don't know if they if we assume the finality happened there, did they take the shot and all kill each other? I think so. Yeah. How did that hit everybody? Visually, that was... Um, I thought that was such a striking panel. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that fucked me up because it's like an entire truck of like police SWAT people who, for me personally, like I have very complicated and I think for a lot of us um, feelings on... And there's a level of empathy and confusion and, like, it just, like, fucked me up. Do you think that what is in this warehouse 
is the literal hell. Like a hell mouth has opened up and a portal to, I'm going to say, fictional land of yeah. Hades mm. <laughs> opens up. <laughs> and this like kind of evil is permeating out of it and affects people in ways that they kill themselves and their partners, that they go into malls and shoot people at point-blank ranges. So one of the things that I thought might be happening in here is that people could be confronted with their worst fears or some things that haunt them because there's Mm. a couple themes throughout the book where our lead detective, when we're first introduced to her, she's having a nightmare in bed and we never revisit why she was having this horrendous nightmare that like seemed to shake her to her core. We focus a little bit of time on talking about this man whose life has been crumbled by having his child and wife killed in front of him and he's going to have to relive that experience and face it every day for the rest of his life. It seemed like they made a point of pointing out people's personal everyday struggles that they focused on the inside uh, and left and left him be at, at the top of this book and never readdressed that stuff. So I'm, I'm wondering if, if that's going to tie in. Yeah, I think that's a really good comment. I, I think what they saw in there is something that would make seeing... Uh, a horrific thing from social media or TV be real to you and like shake you in the way that like it's a, this is a bad example but maybe Parkland kids were were shaken to be able to be to kind of forever change the course of their lives or whatever I think that something like very real violent like I, I think that it would be weird if this dipped into like fantastical hell that's that would be a, ter- a plot turn that I I I don't think they set up for mm-hmm um, but I do think that there's some magic going on or, like, some mystery. And I think it's about dealing with this, fa- like, facade of, like, real horror versus, like, horror that you you aren't actually experiencing. I think it's worth mentioning, too, that this is on Aftershock. And this is a big, uh, big book for them, I feel like. Yeah, Garth Ennis is a huge writer there. But, I mean, just quality book, too, like, that I think people are going to purchase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We like Aftershock. We talk about a lot of their comics on here yeah they had uh animosity oh yeah that's right that's a great book if you haven't checked it out yet yep clubbers i love to walk through hell number one i'm gonna keep reading it um hit us up on social i'll probably say what i think about the second issue too on our instagram next up we got flavor number one out on image by joseph keating and wook jin clark This book is a palatable adventure with reality suspended in the most digestible way. Oh, my God. Do you guys like that one? Yeah. Killed it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This book is set in a world where chefs are the uh, Hogwarts of the world, would you guys say? Yeah. To me, it definitely seems like chefs hold, like, this high place in society, at least. Like, it was like a... They got clout. It was like a community of chefs where they like seem like they might be high society. Mm-hmm. It follows the life of Zhu, who is saving her family's restaurant. In this town, though, you can't be under a certain age and operate a business. She is an adventurous short-order chef who is um, in a world of mystic and fantasy and where food has uh, power, but also is just essentially just... Would you say the spice of the story? Oh my god. <laughs> this is 
rotten. <laughs> I don't even know how to interject right now. <laughs> this book I could see, and in fact in the write-up for it, is compared, is a Miyazakian, or like a Miyazaki film. What are your thoughts on that? Like, is as far as, like, the world that the Miyazaki kind of, like, producers and now his son makes and things like that, do you think this fits in the realm of that? Is that an overused trope uh, to describe something that is just vaguely anime? I do think it feels very influenced by Miyazaki, but I 100% agree that people way overuse calling things like Miyazakian. I think, and this is way nerdy, but as a kid who, like, loved, loved anime and grew up on anime in high school, I kind of have a chip on my shoulder about Miyazaki. Yeah. Like, I think there's not a bad Miyazaki film, but, or TV show, but there, uh... I just feel like it's like this is this deserves like a better comparison than just Miyazaki. I think this like goes into some deep cut anime stuff that's like really fucking awesome. It totally draws influences from other things that I've absorbed throughout my life that come from Japanese culture. Like I, I feel like there's some elements from uh, like JRPG games. Yeah. If you're a gamer. Yeah. We see that huge sword, which like what's up with that monster sword? Right. <laughs> they never really talk about it. This guy's got like. An eight-foot sword on his back. He, oh, he, he says it's not a sword yeah. anymore. He doesn't want to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, what does that mean? It's not a sword anymore? Then quit carrying it around, jackass. It's fucking huge. Oh, Greg feels passionate. It's, it's a spatula. No, it's, it's fucking peacocking is what it is. It's when you wear a fancy hat out to a bar or, like, learn to juggle. Like, you don't want to talk about your sword, maybe not carry it around like a backpack. Nobody has sex with a person that juggles. Uh, I can prove you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Juggling your balls. Uh, oh, boo. This is a little bit playing off of that. There's a fucking sweet-ass intro sequence three-fourths into this where they, like, color cut and they do, like, image presents, which I've never seen an image presents in an Im- image book ever. Like, that whole end sequence just, like, really stuck out to me as, like, Man, this whole thing ahead of time has been world building, and now they're like just hitting me with kind of like the title screen. Mm-hmm. It's like when a movie starts and you get like a prologue, and then you're just like, yeah. All of a sudden, it's title screen, and you're like, I didn't realize like the story hadn't even like started yet. That was my first thought. I was yeah. just like, oh, it's like a movie sequence yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah, I I love that. It caught me off guard, and it also just like reframed what to expect. I also like the shift in. Jus, um, kind of like at the beginning of the comic, it's like the spunky, like adventurous type character, and then by the end, it's like by that title sequence, basically, it's like serious, like she's getting ready to like she puts her shit on, she's like getting ready to cook, and it's like she means business, and I thought that that was like really interesting to go through that whole like shift in like her purpose. Well, she's a teenager. By the start of it, and you take her as that face for face value, I guess. And then by the end, she's the literal breadwinner and caregiver. Let's talk of about the household. Let's talk about that character for a minute. Um, Joe Keating is known for doing Shudder, which is a comic book we love a lot. Totally. Um, which really got uh, high praise for making uh, one of the most dynamic um, central female leads, although not written by f- uh, a female. What do you think? How is this? How is this character going to live up to like such a high standard of creating a central female lead? Yeah, I mean, I think that Zhu's agency is like central to this story, not only because of the plot of her like 
what she does and like where that's going to lead, which I think is obviously very important, but also because of the kind of juxtaposition between her and these like ideas of authority and power, right? Like she's not allowed to do certain things legally. She's also like in the first part of the book, like literally physically disabled from like getting these truffles, right? Like like bullied essentially. So I think that there's there's a lot there about the agency of this character that um, I'm excited to see where it evolves because it's it's pretty obvious right now, but I think that it's hard, right, to like be a young girl in any kind of story or in real life. So I feel like that that's something that I got, I got really excited about, especially um, in relationship to the end of the book. Well, that's like what YA books are. This character is an underdog, and most teenagers feel like they're underdogs. They're underutilized. They're not respected enough. They know that they have the will to do these things. They just need the opportunity to do them. And we're seeing that in flavor right now. She knows that she can run this restaurant. She knows that she can cook. She doesn't need adults around to, to babysit her anymore. And that's what's so great about YA books are really coming of age stories. And I mean, this is like in a you know pretty fantastical sense, but it's a coming of age story that we're reading right now. Then that sets up something about this book that I completely loved, which was like the legalia and rules and regulations on food in the world. And, you know, that's just a little nuanced way to show you like how important food is to this city and the world that this book is set in. But there's also so many other things about the political system here and the inner workings of policy in this town that I'm so intrigued by. And I feel like a super nerd that that was like one of the like the biggest things I was interested in was like, what are these like policies and rules and regulations and how are they being followed and how can you, you know, get her certification to become like a lawful chef? What do you guys think about this book hiring a culinary consultant? I think it's a fun idea. Like as a nerd when they add like this kind of extra layer of expertise to a book I kind of geek out on it to get the culinary experts takes and like knowledge on the food and the craft and how to make it and kind of work it into the story just kind of adds a layer of legitimacy to it that is kind of nice well there's like authenticity right that also pairs well with like legality thing right or like the rules and regulations and how important the food is it elevates like that idea even more yeah there was the thing in the back where he's talking about how like people don't think about it but food controls their emotions and like their everyday's behaviors and things like that mm-hmm. and then i think that that's going to get weaved in here like this place is like food is so important greg you were kind of saying something like this too like yeah like i think to to add this consultant onto it is really bringing into the light that food is kind of a very integral part of everyone's day-to-day life. Like a a good meal can kind of change your day from a good day to a bad day or vice versa, really. So to kind of have food be the central part of the emotional pull of this story is a really interesting take on a city, a world, and what it's based on. And I think Zhu particularly represents the emotional experience involved in eating and cooking and cooking for people, Uh, whereas, you know, the rest of the food in this town, we can assume, is, like, drowned in bureaucracy and 
rules and regulations, right? So the fact that she's off the grid and so passionate about it is is another theme, I guess, that reinforces uh, Greg's point there. Now we have Ether by... Or is it Ether? <laughs> sorry, yeah, I knew sorry, it. I knew sorry. that was going to fucking come up. <laughs> you can do all right, so Ether the Copper Golems is actually a second story arc uh, from the uh, first arc, which was called Ether, which is also by Matt Kent and David Rubin. This leads off right where the first story arc left off. So this book covers our hero from the first story, Boone, as he is currently incarcerated for being a vagrant in uh, Italy. This it, this comic is so hard to explain because <laughs> it really does rely on... And you know what? Kudos, kudos to it, because honestly, explaining it is harder than reading it. Mm-hmm. Like, reading it, I think they did an okay job to being like, okay, I get this. This I get the time the, differences. Yeah, and so shit. here's the thing. Ether, the ether, is in like an alternate reality that you can only get to through almost dying. Now, in the ether, it's, it's magical lore. There's things that can happen that cannot happen in this universe, in this reality. And what's happening in this story is... That magical power is leaking into our current reality right now that we are living in, planet Earth, where there is zero magic ever. And that's what it is. So Boone has to figure out why this is happening and plug the holes that are currently allowing the magic from the ether to get into uh, Earth. So here, herein lies my problem with this book. And I actually liked this book and found it super fun. But let me say this. When you get into ether, there is no fucking rules to the fantasy that like that happen. Everything yeah. can happen, but then Which they you hate. Pre- they pretend like there are some rules, and I think that's the thing I hate even more. I like Adventure Time. There's no rules there, mm-hmm. and and when you find out a new rule, it makes the story fun because it's a brilliantly written show, and I liked the comics as well. Right. I don't like the adding and subtracting of rules in ether because I never. I feel like I'm never on firm ground. I really don't care about Boondias. There are no stakes. And actually, the zaniness of the world is way more interesting to me than whatever storyline is is happening. I think that at the beginning, they tried to set up this kind of like dramatic and emotional like tie to this character. And then they shifted and I liked the shift, but then it just kind of stayed there. And I think that that, I don't know, it, it got me to thinking about like, the storytelling, the form of storytelling should reflect the content, right? Like there's a manicness to Boone when he's in the ether, kind of like he's on drugs or something, but also like super confident. Whereas when he's on earth, he's like, seems depressed. He is hungry as fuck. So he's stealing food. Like all of these things happen. Yeah. Like, and, and I thought that the tension between those two things was fascinating, but then it didn't happen again. And then I was like, oh, I really actually don't care about this character at all. I care about these other, like, weirdo side, like, characters in this fantasy world more because they seem more animated and intriguing. And I thought that, yeah, I I didn't connect with this comic as much because of that because I was like, this guy is fine, but so what? Like... I don't know. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I completely agree with that, but I think one of the coolest parts of this storytelling, of this like comic book that really caught me off guard and like honestly made me f- almost fall in love with this, was when they're recruiting him 
to go to the ether. The person says to him, you know, you know, we, 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 we're going to get you out of jail. We're going to put you in the ether. And to do that, we're going to take care of your family for life. And we're going to take care of you for life. And anything you need will be taken care of. She pauses and she goes back and she goes, we actually looked at you and we, and we know that, you know, we didn't need to offer that second part, taking care of your family, because we can tell by your history uh, that that wouldn't mean anything to you. That wouldn't be the thing that would get you to go to the ether. And if you look at the art, she's crying. She's like tearing up a little bit. And then she's crying more. This person, by the way, is older than him, or at least his age. And then she reveals it's her daughter. And the two months she was in the ether, she is aged to be like virtually his age and is basically saying, you are a terrible father. Wrote that all in like two panels. Yeah. And to me, that was borderline brilliant. Yeah, I agree. I think that that was like the strongest part of the of the of the book. And I also think that, yeah, I mean, the selfishness of this character is, is a strength. And I think that that was kind of played into like with his overconfidence, um, in terms of like, there's that one line where he's like, it just takes like, you know, action and like initiative to like do a thing. I, I hope that like, as this continues, there's more of that. Those two different versions of who he is and the kind of real impact of his relationship with the ether, that's fascinating. But then like, I don't I don't know. I think I think that the the book fell a little bit flat in delivering those ideas. It's almost like he's a drug addict. He's a shit yeah. he's a shitbag. No, on- he's totally addicted to the ether. Yeah. And he For sure. he's a he's a six year old in Candyland. And what's really interesting about him is that he's not a six-year-old. <laughs> he's somebody yeah. with like, responsi- like a six-year-old responsibilities in a in a life, and right. and he's indulging his escapism to the point where it's hurting the others around him. And he obviously doesn't he doesn't care. And his 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 wife, who is now like almost on dead. the verge of death, is aged rapidly beyond, kind of absolves him of that, and is like. Hey, you don't have to talk to me. We accepted this is who you are. You're a dirtbag. We ra- I raised a great family without you. Mm-hmm. Go do your thing in the ether. And he marches right off. Well, and like, I'm sure you guys caught this, but like a week spent in the ether is like a year mm-hmm. human time. Yeah. So like he's off gallivanting through this but, like world at weeks at a time. And like his literal it, life is just wasting away back on Earth. It makes me think of... Video games. Yeah. When you think shitty husband, and sorry I'm focusing on the male perspective because that's like, I guess, what I'm most familiar with. Or it's what the story's about. Right. You've got these guys who grew up playing video games. They're the hero. They're going on fantastical journeys. They're spacing out into nothingness into a TV. Meanwhile, you know, life is going on surrounding you putting all this time into something that's made up and nothing. It's all fantasy that isn't real and doesn't matter. And that's I, I think that's what we're getting with, with this character, which which makes it really identifiable, I think, for yeah. uh, comic book types. <laughs> so not to diss not to diss our fan ourselves. base or, or ourselves. But um I mean there are I, I think a lot of us fall into yeah. that category. This is bringing us now to the end of First Issue Club podcast. We have been graced by the presence of Lynette Miranda all the way from Chicago, and we are recording in KCUR 89.3 Studios. She uh, waxed her art poetics all over this podcast and shamed us so so much that we're now farting 
uh, in this booth and can't even breathe. (laughs) (laughs) We are edited and produced by Matt Hodap. If you're wondering what that person is like, you could check him out on the past episode of where he makes an appearance. You can actually hear his voice. It's a little grainy. It's a little wasn't grainy. My, wasn't my favorite. It's a little St. Louisian. Yeah. Um, but we'll forgive him for that. Our music is uh, recorded by Primary Color Music. We are part of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. So if you are on social media at all, and by the way, don't let anybody tell you you're too addicted to your phone. You're not. That's a bullshit thing to say to somebody. Get on your phone all the time you want, and half the time you're on that phone, you go ahead and click little like buttons that say First Issue Club on all of your favorite social medias because there we are, and we'd love to chat with you. We're going to do giveaways on this podcast, or are we going to do them on the social media? You're just recording me like a little No, I'm not. Okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah, actually, we have a spare copy of Flavor. Okay. And we're going to do like an at campaign on Twitter. So just look at that. Uh, Wait wait for that. Um, Yep, spare copy of Flavor. So if your store didn't have it, which a lot of them didn't, we got it for you. Um, And we'll So look at us on social media, and we'll do that. And now we're going to close out by saying our signature things that we say, which nobody here has a signature because Caitlin's not joining us. So it's all going to be new, whatever our closings are. And Uh, Lynette's heard this before. Has she? Does she know what's about to happen? It's like your opposite of your walk-up music. (laughs) That's a great way to play. Your retreat music. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This is Budget King, and I'm thinking about purchasing brown contacts. Could you tell me if that is a bad purchase decision or a good purchase decision on any of our social medias? Thank you and goodbye. (laughs) Uh, This is Greg Lichtai signing off. I've, of course, been Michael DeStacy as always. You love me. You hate me. You have mixed feelings about me. It's fine. We can change our social construct and contract throughout channels of media so everyone clearly identifies our relationships but i just want to say to you goodbye for now and this is lent miranda long time listener first time caller all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> bye, bye.